This episode of the Nostalgic Journal is dedicated to Sherry Lynn, Lynn Thigpen. Born December 22, 1948, passed away March 12, 2003. We remember her as Mooney from Bear in the Big Blue House, Ella Mae Farmer from The District, the second president of the World Congress and Bicentennial Man, Judge Brenda Daniels in Anger Management, she appeared in radio skits like The American Radio Company of the Air, hosted by Garrison Keillor. Her voice can be heard in over 20 audiobooks. And if you look closely, she portrays a radio DJ shown from the nose down in Walter Hill's The Warriors. But above all, we'll remember her as one of the key people who made geography fun, endearing, and actually interesting to an entire generation of kids. To me, she'll always be that lovable, authoritative leader of the Acme Detective Agency. You were unbelievably talented and wonderful, Lynn. Rest in peace. We miss you. Today, we talk about a franchise that's been in the lives of many a kid who happened to watch PBS. It wasn't just a TV show, though. It had more than a dozen spin-off video games, books, comic books, and even an animated series. The franchise's goal had been always to teach kids while trying to entertain them. And while some exploits had been more successful than others, there's no denying the sheer amount of global recognition that this franchise gets to this very day. Did the franchise do what it set out to do? To teach kids while entertaining them with fanciful adventures and colorful characters? I'd like to think so. If anything, this franchise has done one heck of a job implementing a certain titular character who happens to be a scarlet villain. So where did it all start? Where is it now? And what does the future hold for it? Well, let's find out, shall we? Join me as I take a look at where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Hello, I'm John Carlo Danubio, and this is the Nostalgic Journal a podcast dedicated to looking back at some of the things that I've enjoyed in my youth and trying to figure out why. <laughs> the Carmen Sandiego franchise has been around since 1985. The first game ever to debut was, well, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? It was developed by Border Bun Software and was bundled with something called The World Almanac and Book of Facts which I can only assume was some sort of encyclopedia atlas type thing. The game introduced a formula that really hasn't been changed since then. Alright, so the formula goes a little like this. The player works for the Acme Detective Agency, which is an international crime-solving organization. It was like an old-fashioned detective agency with the futuristic capabilities of modern spies. The organization often dealt with another organization, but this one was criminal and called Vile. It's, of course, run by the Crimson Criminal herself, the Lady in Red, the world's greatest thief, the Miss of Misdemeanors, Carmen Isabella San Diego. 
she and along with her vast number of fellow criminals go around the world stealing things of important historical significance, while Acme dispatches agents to foil her schemes and recover what she stole. <laughs> the crimes are normally spectacular with little regard to physics or plausibility, uh, like stealing all of the Tony Awards from Broadway, uh, stealing entire sports arenas, and even stealing the Roman Colosseum. Yep, Carmen and her thugs actually stole the entire Colosseum. I mean, what can I say? It was a different time back then. In the original PC game, the Acme Detective Agency hadn't been created yet, so the player works for Interpol instead. They're tasked in figuring out just where Carmen and her lackeys are. The player then goes from country to country following clues normally given by the location's locals. Though the locals only speak in clever wordplay, so you have to decipher that first before moving on. You only get a certain amount of tries before getting game over and having to start again from the beginning. Yep, it's one of those games. In 1991, a game show developed by PBS was created based on the game. It was in response to a National Geographic survey that indicated Americans had alarmingly little knowledge of basic geography. This was an attempt to educate and maybe even interest kids in the subject. It ran for five seasons from 1991 to 1995 with a total of 295 episodes. The show followed the premise of the game. Carmen and her cronies steal a historically significant artifact or even locations, and it's up to contestants or gumshoes to try to track them down. Dana Calderwood and Dorothy Curley, who were both developers of the original game, served as the show's producers for its first four seasons. Because of their involvement, much of what made the original game popular translated into the game show itself. The show featured larger-than-life, silly characters and segments which provided a lot of entertainment. At the same time, it liberally sprinkled geographical and world culture factoids all throughout the program. It was so much fun, I mean, most kids didn't even realize they were actually learning. Ah yes, the fine art of an entertaining educational kids program. That's a tough thing to pull off, you know. It's like walking a tightrope, balancing between entertainment and education. Balance is the key. Because if it's not done well, you run the risk of leaning one way versus the other. The trick is being educational while still being entertaining enough for kids to actually want to watch and enjoy it. Go uh, some good examples are uh, Beekman's World, Bill Nye the Science Guy, The Magic School Bus, Science Court, Schoolhouse Rock, Wishbone, Ghost Rider, and Reading Rainbow. Now, the, these are just some of the things that I've actually watched that I know existed. I know there's a lot more, but I, I didn't watch them. <laughs> oh, man. I remember waiting rather impatiently for the show to come on. At the start, at the very beginning, even before the intro, we were all informed that Carmen's gang was bankrolled by the Corporation of Public Broadcasting and viewers like you. <laughs> uh, I, just, I, I don't know what it is, but I kind of well up anytime I watch any episode, especially in the beginning, the introduction, I mean. I don't know if it's because I love the show so much or if it's just because I'm just being overwhelmed with so much nostalgia. I just... I mean, it had the kids cheering, the camera sort of sweeping, 
trying to get all the kids, you know, in one shot as they're cheering and clapping and then led Lynn Thigpen's voice shouting out, asking what we're all wondering for each and every single episode. All these people want to know. And one of these gumshoes could find her. The show was hosted by Greg Lee and Lynn Thigpen. Lee portrayed the role of senior agent in charge of training new recruits, although his actual job was the host of the show, (laughs) you know, hosting the segments with all the questions and sort of interluding between each round. Greg uses his real name, but he adopts a goofy yet lovable persona for the show. Then again, the entire show is goofy and lovable, dang it. (laughs) Thigpen played a character simply called The Chief, a no-nonsense character whose dialogue is filled with puns, alliteration, and other forms of wordplay very reminiscent of the game. She was in charge of the Acme Detective Agency. A crook who travels incognita, nibbling chunks of smooth Velveeta. The writing is on the wall, gumshoes. March off into New Mexico. Rope the rat and yank the tails. Hasten to the basin, gumshoes. Find that fat lady, Eartha. Make her sing. Then bring down the curtain on Carmen. Along with Lee and Thigpen, the show offered an in-house performing group named Rockapella. They provide the show's theme song, game jingles, and musical interludes. All in a style that you can probably guess is acapella. <laughs> Western state, one that borders on Superior Lake, and it's called the Mall of America, where Eartha now has gone. Capital, just one city in every state, where the governor and legislators stay up late. Got the name, got the fame, the political way. Each episode features one or two stolen objects, a criminal who steals it, and Carmen. Here's the lineup of the crooks that appear on the show. The Contessa. Contessa. A so-called criminal of style. She spoke with a distinctly Italian accent, and her fashion typically incorporated styles from Milan. As her name implied, she considered herself near royalty. Double Trouble. Double Trouble. A pair of different colored twins who mirrored each other in a yin and yang sort of way. Even their color palette was only black and white. They were international playboys who, strangely enough, spoke very similar to Jack Nicholson. Just because. Eartha Brute. Eartha Brute. A muscle-bound, slow-witted woman with a green beehive hairdo. She wore a pink singlet uniform complete with a weight belt that had the initials V-I-L-E on the front. Every good villain needs a little muscle every now and then, I I suppose. Nimoy. Nimoy. Spelled K-N-E-E-M-O-I. She's an alien from the planet Roddenberry. She has a round body with two tentacled arms. Being a pink ball of ectoplasm, she was able to morph into any form that she desired. She also seemed to have a reputation on 93 planets as a space outlaw. 
That's right. Somehow, Carmen recruited an intergalactic alien as an accomplice. The Fiend. If it wasn't obvious, her name is a reference to the actor who played Spock on Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, and her planet is a reference to Star Trek creator, Gene Roddenberry. Patty Larceny. A ditzy blonde schoolgirl with a coy, sweet, and giggly personality. Carmen's influence knows no bounds. Though she may be in vile because Carmen treats her as if she were her niece. She wears an orange shirt, green jacket, green skirt, and saddle shoes. Despite being a wanted criminal, she's often described as polite and kind, which begs the question, how the heck did she get wrapped up in all of this? Honestly, I always felt bad when she got caught by, you know, the gumshoes. Robocrook. Robocrook! A villainous robotic spoof of Robocop. Apparently, his real name is Robocrook Unit 059. Not to mention, he has a metal fedora! Sarah Nade. Sarah Nade! A punk rock teenager with rainbow-colored hair who loves concerts and singing. She also appears in the deluxe version of the Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego game, which was released due to the game show's popularity. Top Grunge. Top Grunge! A large smelly biker who always has flies hovering over his head. He rides a badly tuned motorcycle that spits out large, dense plumes of smoke wherever he goes. Oh, and he grunts a lot. Like, a lot. Vic the Slick. Vic the Slick. A shrewd salesman in a loud polyester suit and an even <laughs> and an even louder tie. He also sported a seedy mustache, shifty eyes, and slicked black hair. He's always trying to flirt with Carmen, giving her pet names like Sweetheart and Dollface. Wonder Rat. Wonder Rat. <laughs> yeah, you heard right. Wonder Rat. A parody of superheroes in general. He wears a makeshift rat costume and he flies around from place to place. I say fly, but by fly I mean he has a rope attached to his waist and he's flown around by a helicopter. He's hanging at he's hanging by the helicopter and he's just being flown everywhere. The animation for the show was stylized and simplistic, though not entirely by choice. Gene Mackles, one of the people who were tasked to create the animation for the show, said, I took on the assignment to produce about two hours of animation for the show. With a ridiculously tight deadline and budget, the only possibility for this to work at the time involved purchasing half a dozen Macintosh computers and assembling a team of animators using Macromind Director to get it to happen. Amazingly enough, it worked, and Chris Pullman and I won a Daytime Emmy Award for our effort. At the beginning of the show, or even sometimes before the intro, the chief does a briefing of the episode's case. She describes the location of a historically significant place or item, going into some background information about it as well. She then identifies the criminal, their typically crazy way of stealing, the criminal's last known whereabouts, and most important of all, the name of the case. <laughs> Such as Space Place Chase, or Beach Blanket Bye-Bye, or Bollywood Shuffle, or one of my favorites, Gooby Go Bye-Bye, or The Desert Desertion. The show involved three contestants. 
typically kids between the ages of 10 and 14. Lee asks them questions with a small TV right next to him serving as a visual aid. At the beginning of the first round, contestants are given 50 Acme Crime Bucks to start with. This, of course, acted as the score for the contestants, similar to Jeopardy. Just like the PC game, contestants are given clues throughout the round. However, unlike the PC game, the clues were given through costumed comedy sketches, animation, parodies of pop songs performed by Rockapella, and even some celebrity videos. The clues gave hints to the contestants as to what the answer to the question is. About partway through the first round, a lightning sound effect would play, signaling the start of the lightning round. It consisted of three multiple-choice questions. Contestants would buzz in to answer at a first-come, first-served basis. After the lightning round, the chief calls Greg over to her office, which is another part of the set. These scenes between the chief and Greg were small comedic breaks, which also served as a way to announce that the gumshoe who captures Carmen would win the grand prize, an all-expenses-paid trip typically to anywhere within the continental United States. Sometimes in place of the announcement, they explain how viewers were able to win a Carmen Sandiego t-shirt. They would have to submit a postcard with their name and the location of four stolen items in the past four episodes in order to have a chance to win. By the end of the segment, the chief usually tells Greg to go away, typically due to Greg doing something to outworn his welcome. In the fifth and final season, after the office intermission, a training exercise game was introduced. The alley set connected to the main game show set was used for this one. Greg would take the gumshoes out to it, supplying each one with a trash can. The object of the game was to sift through the trash can and find a card which had a flag of the country in question on the front and a clue about it on the back. Once a contestant finds their card, they had to close the lid right back on their trash can because this would decide the order as to which Greg would ask them the question, from first to last. The first contestant to answer right was given an additional 10 Acme Crime Bucks. Around this time, beginning in Season 2, there was another segment called The Chase. The Chase. It was similar to the lightning round where Gumshoes answered a series of questions. However, the chase provided clues about locations that followed a particular path, indicating that the Gumshoes were close on the trail. Gumshoes could earn five Acme Crime Bucks for each correct answer. The show then comes to the final game of the round. Greg would show three locations before the clue was given. After that, the gumshoes were given some time to wager 0 to 50 crime bucks in increments of 10 on the clue. After the wagers were put in, the gumshoes were then given the clue. If the gumshoe answered correctly, their wager was added to their score. However, if they answered wrong, the amount was deducted instead. The two highest scoring gumshoes continued on to the following round, following the crook to the correct destination. The gumshoe with the lowest score is given some consolation prizes, which were called the official Acme CrimeNet Travel Kit. It consisted of an atlas, a Carmen Sandiego wristwatch, a Carmen Sandiego sweatshirt or t-shirt, 
and a subscription to National Geographic. National Geographic World. More consolation prizes would be added in later seasons, with things like a basketball globe, a baseball cap with the Acme logo on the front, an Acme CrimeNet translator, and more. And then it was on to round two. Just before the round began, the chief described various landmarks that were going to be featured in this round. The segment was called Photo Recon. Fifteen landmarks, which included those shown during the chief's initial briefing, were displayed on a big board. The landmarks were on large rectangular nameplates that would flip around to showcase whether or not it was correct. On the reverse side, the nameplates show either one of the three items needed to win, or just footprints to indicate that nothing was there. The three things that the gumshoes needed to find were the loot, what was stolen, the warrant, and the crook. The trick was to find them in that order. If the gumshoe found the warrant or the crook first, even if they found the other items, they still wouldn't be able to win because it wasn't in the right order. <laughs> the neat thing about this particular round is the fact that Rockapella do little jingles every once in a while when a nameplate gets flipped. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever really confirmed this, but I'm almost 100% sure Rockapella were behind the wall making those little nameplates flip because, you know, how else would they know? We turn it back around. David, your turn. White Pagoda. White Pagoda. The warrant. Do you, sir, have the warrant? Remember, though, you're going to get a free turn. Remember, you have to go loot warrant and then crook. Go ahead, Dave. Great Mosque. <laughs> Great Mosque. Zilcho. Nothing there, but you found the warrant. Nice job. We turned both of them back around. Rihanna, your turn. Ho Hot Carpet Factory. Ho Hot Carpet Factory. Lots of nice carpets, but nothing else. Nothing there. We turned it back around. Uh, David, your turn. The Ching Mountains. Uh, Dutching Mountains. Whoop, whoop. Nothing there. We turned it back around. Rihanna. Artist Desert. Artist Desert. Goose egg. Nothing there. We turned it back around. Dave. The losing gumshoe is then given the consolation prizes that we mentioned earlier. Greg then tells the winning gumshoe to pull on a suspended chain rope. Once pulled, it activated a foghorn sound effect and was accompanied by an animation showing the corresponding crook getting put behind bars. Yeah. Wonder Greg then hands the gumshoe a portfolio with a pen and paper inside and instructs them to write where they would like to go. Typically, the gumshoe was allowed to write down any state within the United States, in which upon winning, they would get an all-expenses-paid trip. Right after that, there's a phone call for the gumshoe. Apparently, the now-caught crook decides to give away the country that Carmen is currently in. Uh, right there. Excuse me. Hello? Yes, he's right here. Know why they call me Wonder Rat? Because it's a wonder that I'd rat on my own boss. <laughs> Carmen's going to Asia. Go get her. This leads to the chief showing the gumshoe and the viewer places in that country that Carmen may have traveled to. This serves as a last-minute reference guide to some of the places within that country. Once the chief was done with the rundown, she would tell Greg... Greg! Let's go to the map. I feel good. Steve, in a very intense 
Thanks, man. You ready to do this thing, man? All right, listen, let me explain it. For those who may not know, what you've got to do is identify eight locations in 45 seconds. When you are right, you will hear this sound. If you're wrong, though, you'll hear this sound. So if you're wrong two times, don't worry about it. Leave the marker where it is. We'll continue from there. But if you're right eight times in 45 seconds, you're going to get that trip. You ready to do this thing? Mm -hmm. Yes. You guys ready to do this? Yeah. All right, come on, Steven, let's do it. Come right back this way. Get a marker in your hand. Let's get 45 seconds up on the clock. Good luck to you. You guys make some noise. Here we go. Greg would then run with the gumshoe out to a giant map of a country that was located in front of the studio audience. The challenge was to find all of the places that Greg would call out in 45 seconds. With the map being huge and blank with nothing labeled, a gumshoe really had to know where the places were in order to win. The markers were blue stands with a red colored rotating beacon light on top, like one of those old fashioned police lights. If the gumshoe gets most if not all of the locations correct, they win, which means they successfully catch Carmen San Diego. Although, with how I'm describing it, you can probably see how that doesn't really happen very often. <laughs> if they lose, they do get the consolation prizes that were mentioned before and a job well done from Greg and the Chief. If they win, they get to reveal the location they chose earlier to some Rockapella fanfare. Just a moment ago, you wrote down where you'd like to go if you caught Sir Carmen San Diego and got that trip. You did it. You and the parent are going to... Let's get Quebec, Canada! In later seasons of the show, gumshoes were allowed to pick places just outside of the United States, like Mexico and Canada. After all was said and done, on both occasions, Greg closes the show with a trademark catchphrase that ended each and every single episode with the help of the gumshoe and the audience. There's one more thing I want you to do. You know what it is? Do it, the show then begins to close as kids are invited to come onto the map with Greg and the Gumshoe, and even Rockapella joins them as they all begin to sing the show's theme song. The Chief then comes onto the screen and gives the official sign off for the show in a wordplay and punny manner. This is Lynn Dixon for Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, and remember. We snip out crooks from France to Mauritius. And for a snack, we pack canishes. When the taping of the show was over, Lynn Thigpen would summon a member of the audience to her office to answer a single geography question. If they answered correctly, they would be given an official Carmen San Diego sweatshirt. If they got it wrong, well, they would be given an atlas instead. Either way, though, they would be invited to return to the show as a gumshoe contestant for the next taping. Due to the show's popularity, two soundtracks were made. Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, which featured artists like Rockapella, The Temptations, and Tito Puente. It was an album that focused on uh, global, international-type music all coming together for one album. And another album called Carmen Sandiego, which featured They Might Be Giants, and also Greg Lee and Lynn Thigpen. And of course, Rockapella. And that, my friends, was Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? The game show. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. Originally, I was going to talk about the franchise as a whole, but the more research I did, the more I wanted to focus on the game show that quite frankly, started it all. 
it was one of those shows that blended entertainment and education in all the right ways. It was produced by a small cast and crew that just had so much creativity, so much energy that it just makes it endearing to this very day. I mean, hell, even Saturday Night Live made a parody of it, albeit a political satire about Kellyanne Conway. Needless to say, the show played a huge part in making the franchise a nostalgic standard. It produced countless spin-offs like another game show, Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego, which had Lynn Thigpen reprising her role as the chief. PC games like Where in Space, World Detective, Math Detective, they even had an animated show called Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego. Ah, yes. One of the few spectacular things that the Children's Television Act actually ended up being responsible for. Deke Entertainment decided to develop the series, though development wasn't easy. Borderbund Software, who owned the franchise at the time, required that Deke submit scripts to them so that they could be approved. The company was concerned because it was the first time they delved into an animated series, with shows like X-Men and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers already on the airwaves, the company was concerned that the show would turn to mindless violence. The series would be a retooling, creating new characters and giving Carmen a lot more backstory than what we've seen up to that point. The premise, though, is a wee bit confusing. The main characters are Zack, played by Scott Menville, and Ivy, Jennifer Hale. They're Acme agents. <laughs> the chief this time is a disembodied head that has a weird resemblance to Egon Spangler from the real Ghostbusters. He's played by Roger Bumpus. Carmen, although she's voiced by other actresses during different points of the series, is mainly voiced by Rita Moreno. <sighs> and my god, I think she is the voice of Carmen Sandiego and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Welcome, detectives. You've been my most worthy adversaries. I know you'll give me a good game. Somehow Carmen's managed to magnetize the board and make us part of the game. Hey, I only play if it's win or take all, Carmen. I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, let the game begin. I mean, come on, listen to that. If there was ever a woman who could turn me into a bad guy, it would have to be that version of Carmen Sandiego. I mean, oh, oh, give me a second. I got the vapors. Oh. <clears throat> anyway, the confusing part is mostly from the fact that this all transpires on a computer. At the start of every episode, it starts out live action with a teenager sitting at a computer typing away apparently having conversations with Carmen herself. I thought you were finished for sure, Carmen. Cats don't have nine lives the way people say, but I do, player. I'll catch you soon enough. You have to find me first, and the world is my hiding place. See you next crime. 
I mean, it's never really clear, but we can probably guess that the whole thing is just a computer game that the player is currently playing. I mean, heck, I don't know. It's never really clarified at all during the show. All I know is that the show itself is amazing, albeit a little confusing. It was one of those shows that just didn't insult kids' intelligence. It was just, it was just as, it was filled with as much adventure and action as it did facts and history. Well, look at that. Another flawless balancing act from a show with the Carmen Sandiego label on it. Mm. Another prime example of educational television done right. Every once in a while, it seems to have a DVD release from different publishers because there's just enough interest in the series to start, but then it eventually gets discontinued because there's just not enough sales. So if you see it, I strongly recommend picking it up when you can. It's a fantastic show. There's no denying that Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego has been one of the most successful video game series to date. Five million copies have been sold to schools and homes worldwide. All three television shows, World, Time, and Earth, have been nominated for a total of 45 Daytime Emmy Awards. They won eight of them with the original show also winning a Peabody Award. It's estimated that the shows had about 10 million viewers each week. Carmen Sandiego not only stole things from all over the world, she also captured the imagination of countless kids worldwide, sparking renewed interest in geography when it was all but a forethought in most people's minds. I don't know. Maybe Carmen ain't all that bad after all. In the late 20-teens up to the present, the franchise has slowed down a bit, with two games being released in 2011 and a mobile-slash-Facebook game released in 2015. With the internet becoming available in almost every home and more advanced teaching tools being developed in classrooms, was Carmen finally reaching her end? Was the world finally over the franchise that practically single-handedly made geography a viable interest to adults who were once kids? Is the Carmen craze finally over? Well, I'm happy and excited as all heck to say that with the utmost positivity, no. No, 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 you get the idea, no. The world has not forgotten about Carmen, and even if some folks have, or even if some folks, I guess kids at this point, have never heard of Carmen Sandiego, they're going to be given a new opportunity to get to know the preposterous pilfering perpetrator. Netflix is climbing aboard the old nostalgic bandwagon again and has partnered with DHX and a company called Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, whom I assume owned the franchise at the moment the Carmen Sandiego franchise, and are working to make a brand new series which is, and I quote, a serialized look at Carmen's backstory that is told from her perspective. It is to, it's to serve as an origin story for the infamous criminal and will be the fourth television show of the series, the three being World, Time, and Earth. The show is simply entitled Carmen Sandiego, and is slated to be released in 2019. The Hollywood Insider information site The Tracking Board reported that Gina Rodriguez will be voicing the titular character. 
With a planned 20 episodes, each running about 22 minutes long, it said that it would appeal to a demographic of 6 to 11-year-olds. In addition, it would appeal to kids and fans of the original series, which is saying quite a bit. Gina has been reported in saying that she's very excited about the show, that the writing was really, really good, and that it was unbelievable. If anything, I can have a little more confidence in this rather than something I spoke of before in a past episode. Reboot <laughs> Guardian Code. <laughs> but what really got me was a quote by Andy Yetman, Netflix director of Global Kids Content. He said, We think that there's a huge benefit of having a program that parents remember fondly and grew up with. We are giving them the opportunity to introduce it to their kids and spark a conversation. The new series is set to premiere a whole 20 years after the last one. Man, has it been that long already? All in all, I don't see the franchise dying anytime soon. I mean, even if some of the facts from the original show are a smidge outdated, it's still as relevant as ever. To know what's going out there in that big blueberry we call Earth. To get to know more people that, you know, out there that it's just more than us, you know? More than our culture, more than what we know, more than what we, we, we are to be. There are so many good, wonderful, and extraordinary things out there in this big blueberry of a planet. And I think it's definitely worth at least knowing about it. I mean, you don't have to go to Bombay or you don't have to go to... Japan or or Amsterdam you can just read about it look into it the world's a big place it's worth knowing about it but hey that's just another entry in my nostalgic journal oh hey and before I go <laughs> there's one more thing I want you to do you know what it is She sneaks around the world from Vienna to Carolina. She's a sticky finger filcher from Berlin down to Belize. She'll take you for a ride on a slow boat to China. Tell me where in the world is Carmen San Diego? This is John Carlo Danubio speaking for the Nostalgic Journal. And remember, Acme's five number motto five are the senses you need, four, putting crooks on the run. Three chances to fight against greed. Two, be sure that justice is one. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Tell me. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Where could she be? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? If you have any suggestions on what I should cover in my next episode, or if you have any input whatsoever, drop it in a review on iTunes or make a comment on SoundCloud. You can also drop me a line on my Twitter, at Knickerbocker. That's at N-I-C-K-A-B-O-C-K-E-R. For more shows like this, visit www.grandstandradio.com. The Nostalgic Journal's theme song is by Hugo Kant. This has been a production of Grandstand Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>